Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Okay, so this week we sit down with Krista Bilton. Okay, this woman is... She's a fascinating story. Her, her family structure is almost crazier than ours. I right? would say it's just a little bit. Yeah, it actually is crazier than A ours. little bit crazier than ours. She wrote a memoir called Normal Family mm-hmm. on Truth, Love, and How I Met My 35 Siblings. Mm-hmm. That is more than we have, actually. She shares her story of her obviously extremely unconventional family, but the whole conversation, it's just a really good reminder that honestly, no family is normal. Not even... Uh, not even the family that you think is normal mm-hmm. is normal. Everyone, that, I, don't, I don't think anyone ever thought her family was normal, though. No, we all have stuff going on behind closed doors. We talk a lot about shame, secrets. Um, we really think you're going to like this episode. Not that, I mean, we don't know. We you. went into it thinking, is this relatable to our entire audience? And we came out of it going, there are takeaways for everyone here. Of course. So we're excited for you to listen. Me too. I'm excited too. I want to preface this to our listeners. They're vi- they get very upset if they hear a sip of water, a something. So I just want to say, Erin is getting a colonoscopy. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm not allowed to eat food today. She's not allowed to eat food today. So she may take a sip of broth. And yeah. I'm just warning you, please don't message me complaining yeah. about it. Also, I- they're going to have to decide between the slurping of broth or my stomach growling really loud. Well, don't slurp it. Right. Try okay. to be cognizant, but I sip. think we all have to, this is a medical situation. Yeah, so it's medical. It's medical. And if you shame her, you're going to, we're going to cancel you. Yes. Okay. Um, hi, Krista. Hi. So nice to meet you guys. So nice to meet you. So have we, we haven't met before, right? But we have a lot of friends in common. Yeah. I don't think we've met before. Okay. Um, and this came through Sarah Riff, who we love. But Sarah, yeah. And Rob, I think is also a mutual friend. Oh, um, we love Rob. Rob Fishman? Rob Fishman. Oh my gosh. We were just with both of them. They both of them spent um Rosh Hashanah with us. Oh cute. But oh, you yeah. grew up in LA? I grew up in LA. Where'd yeah. you go to high school? Um, I went to a couple different high schools because our economic uh situations were ever changing. So yeah. Archer for the longest period. Mm. And then New Roads. Okay. 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 Both great schools. Do you mind me asking what year yeah. you graduated high school? I graduated high school 2002 or 2003. So Krista, you have a very, 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 very unique and interesting. Well, I think it's unique. Maybe it's less unique than I realized. No, it's it's unique. No, it's unique, (laughs) but maybe it happens to more people than that we don't know about. Um, Mm. But we were very excited for people to hear your story. It's very interesting. And we relate to the idea, not on the scale of your life, but um, we have had so many different siblings coming in and out of our lives over the course of our life in a very different way than you have. Um, but the joke is just that we're related to everybody in LA and uh, and it's really true a lot of the time. So again, not diminishing your, no, your situation. But that feeling of like you're, family being so spread thin and so spread out and and, what's my place and who am I and yeah and like so many people being sort of like this forced family feeling like we never had that traditional Thanksgiving dinner that didn't have someone's ex-husband ex-wife ex-step ex-this that and so um so we're really drawn to a story like this so I want you to just start out for everybody like give everyone 
the lay of the land here. Take us to the beginning. Take us to the, the story of where this all began. Totally. So, um, so yeah, normal family is, um, it's the story of my crazy dysfunctional upbringing with my larger than life gay mother in LA in the eighties and nineties. And then discovering in my mid twenties that my now homeless mental health, uh, challenged father was secretly one of the most prolific sperm donors possibly in history. Um, definitely at the California cryobank and that I had anywhere between several dozen and hundreds of, of biological siblings growing up all over the U S. So it's sort of the origin story of how that came to be. And then, uh, growing up with my mom and then, and then, yeah, that discovery and all the ramifications of it. And as you said, just this, um, this idea, which is more universal and then especially uh, coming up more and more now of, of what makes a family, especially in the age of like 23andMe and, and Ancestry.com and because people are discovering all kinds of biological relations. That it they seems didn't... like we all now know uh, like one person who discovered some secret about their family through 23andMe. I mean, Sarah and I know a woman who did it casually like everybody else did to see how much Irish am I and how much English am I? And then realized that she and her sister didn't share the same, you know, DNA. So that happens more and more now. Can you take us to your specific story though? How did your mom end up with your biological father getting together? And did she go to a sperm bank? Was it a friend? Like, how did this happen? No. So my, so my mother, as I said, she was gay, had grown up in the fifties and sixties, had a lot of shame about that, really wanted to start a family, but didn't know like a single other person in her community who had had kids. So she was very much setting out without any examples before her. You know, this was like, uh, 10 full years before Ellen came out as gay. So just to set the time period, it was a very homophobic and time. even when Ellen came out, people were like, oh my God, you know, I mean, even yeah, then. totally. Even then it was a big deal. Crazy. So people, you know, in LA even, it, it was very unconventional. It is easy to forget that. Like we do forget that. No, we forget it's, that her, Ellen doing that was like one of the most monumental moments in history for the, you know, for it's, and it doesn't feel that long ago and it wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy to think that, such a short period of time ago. Was that the 90s ago. or the 2000s, the Ellen? That was mid-90s. Yeah. So that, so, and I was born in the early 80s. So, um, so just to give a, so it's just a very different time. Um, and so she set out to figure this out. And, and at first she, I mean, there, there was a, there was a, you know, it was just the wild west of sperm donation at that time because there really wasn't the, the big majority of people who were using sperm donors were heterosexual couples where the man was infertile. So it was a very secret um, industry, very unregulated. It's still unregulated. So at first, my mom thought she would find her her sperm donor through this organization called the Repository of Germinal Choice which was this you salesman-like man going around with a briefcase selling the sperm of quote-unquote noble laureates to create genius children. Um, and they had an explicit policy, no gay women, no single single mothers. So my well, mom like had to like- They wouldn't give their sperm to a single mother, like a single mother- <laughs> Because that's not gonna create the next genius generation, I guess. Uh, only, only, you know, heterosexual couples. Uh, so my mom somehow managed to distract this man from the fact that she was both gay and single and um, and bought sperm from a mathematics prodigy at Stanford. 
and tried to inseminate herself that way and didn't get pregnant. And then she got spooked and uh, hired a PI to get a photo of this would-be sperm donor. And he was a very unattractive, balding professor of mathematics at Stanford. And she was like, no, I have to know the father of my kids and he has to be good looking. This is what she decided. I want a model. I want a model for my offspring. (laughs) Fair enough. Yes, that was her her perspective. So she then went on a manhunt, a very comical manhunt that I talk about in the book. And my very handsome dad, man who would become my dad, walked into a hair salon in Beverly Hills. And she said, that's it. That's the one. And she took him to lunch and offered him $2,000 to father her a child, which became me. Um, she had a larger plan for him than just this exchange, but he didn't realize that at the time. And, uh, so she, she made him swear he would never do this for anyone else. And then she took him to the California cryobank to get his, um, fertility tested and to make sure he had no STDs. Cause at that time AIDS was through the roof. So everyone was worried about STDs and, uh, and he saw a lineup of men walking in and out, giving donations. And that's where he got the idea to do this professionally. Um, so so that plan I was talking about, my mother um, really felt guilty not giving us a dad. So after he us donated... Me, sorry, it was you and your sister. So I wound up having a little sister. Yeah, she was born four and a half years later. Um, and my mom then paid him to play dad. So he then would like show up for a birthday party and get $100. And uh, I mean, it wasn't as direct as that. But later in my life, I realized it was pretty direct, um, which was something I didn't know, obviously, growing up. Did he form any kind of attachment to you guys? Yeah, Um, I mean, he was their dad. Well, but I don't know. I mean, did he was getting paid I knew to go him to the as birthday dad, parties. And he was just this quirky hip, you know, a month after I was born, he was a Playgirl centerfold. So he was... Oh, my God. Uh, you know, it, he came from a very wealthy family, but he had sort of like, you know, wound up studying transcendental meditation and, and you know, living in a van. And he was, he was not. He was a free spirit. He wanted to spread his seed. And he wanted to spread his seed. Uh, so, so yeah. So I just grew up knowing him as my quirky dad who was in and out. And then some, maybe something you guys will relate to my the family that I knew was ever changing because my mom, in addition to, you know, she, she's a very colorful character in the book. In many ways, the book is really uh, sort of a love letter to her because she was, you know, had many beautiful qualities, but also struggled with drug addiction and alcoholism and was like a pioneer in many new age cults. She was involved in many multi-level marketing schemes that were really, really pyramid schemes. So we had a very boom bust. We were in multi-level million dollar mansions one minute on the verge of homelessness the next so it was just and then on top of that she had trouble with monogamy so (laughs) all all the things that create a really healthy childhood yeah so it was a colorful childhood someone compared her a reader compared her to auntie mame recently Mm -hmm. what's your like earliest memory like do you remember sort of like what's your earliest memory of questioning your family dynamic or was it just normal to you it it was both I there were a lot of questions mostly when I started school and saw that the other family makeups were so different but then also I had these second moms that would come in for two or three years and I would you know I'd call them mommy mommy Faye sit mommy sable and they would I would fully love them like a mom and then when that relationship disintegrated which it always inevitably did my mom would say that those people had gone on vacation 
And so I was always expecting mommy Faye to come back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. uh, You're like, and there is where my abandonment issues began, <laughs> which we could also relate to. I mean, it's, it is interesting because obviously your story is so not relatable. The, the, the minutiae, not the minutiae, but the nuance of it. But like what is relatable is the dysfunction of family. Mm. And there's so much of that that people can grab onto because it's becoming like more rare for people to just grow up in a home that doesn't lean into their issues and that just is loving and stable and uncomplicated. I don't know anybody actually that had an uncomplicated childhood. I mean, maybe but Simon. I, yeah, Simon. Maybe too. Simon. But I but <laughs> I will say that there's probably, that's my husband, Simon. Yeah. Um, but there's probably also a lot happening now where in a positive way, because it's hard for people to stay together and it's hard for people to love the same person for 60 years. And so I do think that there is a generation coming up that are more accepting of unique family dynamics and people are better today. It seems like from what I see um, in creating that unconventional family and making it work. Like when we grew up, you know, our parents couldn't be in the same room as each other. You know, they, we never had like a family dinner together because when you got divorced, it was um, tense and combative. There was nothing about it that was peaceful. And now I see couples, you know, the idea of consciously uncoupling has become more popular. And now it feels like people are like, just because we don't want to be together doesn't mean that we can't have a happy family, right? Like that is looking more, um, more traditional these days is like divorced couples making it work peacefully, yeah, which is positive. Consciously uncoupling. So I just said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think we're in a very different spot than we were when we were growing up. I think that there was so much stigma around so many things. And like, you know, one of the core themes in the book is shame and especially shame related to family. Cause that was, I grew up thinking my family was so different, our economic struggles, my mom's drug addiction, not to mention her being gay and having, and so a lot of my life, I, uh, I worked very hard to present an external appearance that was, um, that was like everyone else. And I think that that really, I think that is, is universal. A lot of people take whatever makes them feel different from other people. And then they try and hide. How did you do that? What were your coping mechanisms? Um, when you were ashamed of your family structure, did you lie? Did you pretend I lied a ton? I I was like a completely fake person because I thought that no one would love me if they knew the truth. And, um, and so, I mean, that was part of the reason I wrote the book is because I think that a lot of people struggle with that. And um, what was so wild is there's a turning point late in the book when I realized that my mother was so ashamed of things that had happened to her in her childhood that she never intended to share them with me. Was there a friend you had or like a, a TV family that you looked at and you're like, that's what I want. That's the family I wish I had. I think all of my, I think that I assumed all of my friends had perfect home lives and that I, I thought that I was the only one. Um, there were all kinds of coping mechanisms. I also started repeating a lot of the dysfunctional patterns of my parents. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of therapy and personal work to, to get through. Um, but we're living in such a, yeah, we are living in such a different time now. I think there's just less stigma around, yeah, mental health, all kinds of 
you know, addiction, Definitely, all this kind of stuff. Shame is and, such a common theme. Like I'm, I personally am like really working hard with my therapist on shame because I feel shame around everything. And I'm like really trying to put the dots together to connect the dots, to really get to the bottom of why everything I do, I trace back to shame. So I really, re- I really relate to that because it is destructive as hell. When so you, what are some things that you were ashamed of that me? you feel like you've, yeah. I mean, every little sort of thing that happens in my life, I blame myself. I, I don't know. I mean, it's weird because Aaron and I, we always say we have different childhoods and I blocked a lot out. Like it's weird. I just like, I rewrote situations. I block certain things out and it is not until truly like later in life that I've just begun to like peel the onion. Can you peel an onion? Mm-hmm. Peel an orange? Um, so I, I really, I really relate to that. Listen, I, for us, I latched on to other families as well mm. because that was my coping mechanism. I, le- I, I had one friend in particular where to me, like her family was just everything I wanted my family to be. So I would like invite myself over. I mean, truly, like it was one of those homes, like they walked around, you know, not naked, but they were just like a free spirit home. They walked around like Kate. Yeah. They were just, it was just like the most to me. Right. And then of course you find out later in life, like what you thought our family was perfect. Our family wasn't fucking perfect. Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. But for me, it is what I looked at as like the Nirvana. Right. And because it was too painful to just sit at home for, for me, for Aaron, Aaron Mm. loved being at home for her. Like, no, I felt like a safe place for her. No, I just think, listen, we all had, we had such different experiences. I just really wanted our family to be like, I wanted our family to work on our issues. And like, I would try to force us all to be together all the time. So I would like be really mad at Sarah that she didn't want to come to mother's day lunch. Like she was going to blow this off. She didn't want to come to this. She wanted to come to that. I was like desperate for us to like act like a real family. And Sarah just was like, you know, bailing on our family. But I remember having a conversation with a girlfriend of mine, like a decade ago, I was complaining about family drama that we were having and she grew up without any family. She's an only child and her dad died when she was young and she didn't really have, she just had her mom. And she was like, can I admit something to you? When you complain about your family drama, I am like so jealous. I've always mm-hmm. wanted family drama. I don't have any family. So totally. we, that don't, makes sense. we don't have drama. I'm jealous that you're like, I hate that person. I'm fighting with this person. Like she wished that she had had that chaos because mm-hmm. it felt like something, you know? Yeah. So it's just a reminder that anytime you think your situation is shittier than the next situation, it's like, it's always easy to look at what's, what's on somebody else's plate and think it looks better than what you have. So Haya has quickly become the go-to for vitamin supplements for kids. Um, it's pretty crazy that our children for years and years and years have been years and years and years (laughs) no but have been taking vitamins that are basically filled with crap just like candy so here comes Haya and they have taken children's vitamins and sort of changed the game this is made them made them healthy this is a pediatrician approved super powered chewable vitamin most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar they contribute to teeth issues health issues Haya is made with zero sugar 
and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes exactly the same. Well, prove to us that it tastes good. Do your kids like it? No, they do like it. But what they really honestly love the most is that they got to design their packaging themselves. Mm -hmm. So you get to, you, it you arrives. You get the little can that it comes in, right? Little can and you can personalize With it. With stickers can, and all that stuff. Yes, you can make it your own. So that was honestly Yeah, make being healthy fun for your kid. There, It has um, a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables, supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, all the important ones. Um, that all support your immunity, your energy, brain function, mood, all the things. It's non-GMO. It's vegan. It's dairy-free. It's allergy-free. It's gelatin-free, nut-free, everything else free that you can imagine. So we have worked out a special deal for their best-selling children's vitamin from Haya. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you have to go to HayaHealth.com slash foster. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A Health dot com slash foster and get your kids the full body nourishment that they need to grow into healthy adults. Do I seem calm to you? Honestly, no. Calm. Oh, okay. Well, I'm doing the ad for calm right now. Yeah, but you should try actually using the app. Mm, okay. This morning. Have you used it this morning? I've not used it yet this morning. Okay. Which is wow. why I'm a little bit amped up right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and I am not calm. We are partnering with Calm. We have partnered with them in the past. Um, They're they the number are, one mental wellness app. Okay. They give you tools to improve the way that you feel. Reducing stress and anxiety, guided meditations, improving focus, which I really need, uh, curated music tracks. They also have like sleep stories for kids to help them, you know, go into sleep. I feel like, you know, good vibes. approaching a new year, people make these proclamations. They make mm. all these... Um, they better. set their intentions. Like, I want to meditate. I want to this. But like, it just like, how do you even begin? Who really well, does it? Calm app makes it easy to, you know. You also don't have to start this like January 1st. Do it anytime. Yeah, do it anytime. Every day is a great day to be a better version of yourself, It's a great right? way to start your day. It's a great way to take a break in the middle of the day when you feel like you're going to, you know, mm -hmm. do something you'll regret. Yeah. If you don't trust us, over 100 million people around yeah. the world use it. So, you know, don't take uh, our word for it. Well, so, take our word for it. But oh. you can also take like, a hundred million word. other people's word right. for it. So for our listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer, 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash foster. Go to calm.com slash foster for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That is calm.com slash foster. I want to get back to like your story because obviously by the book, you can get all the details there, but like, yeah, we don't want you to feel like you're giving it away, but we also want people to, you know, hear enough of the story to want to go buy your book. Yeah. I mean, well, take us through what happened when, you know, take us to finding out all this stuff. Like, yeah. How old were you? Yeah. So I found out in my early twenties, um, I, it was, um, <clears throat> it was a, a, a pretty wild set of circumstances. My, so my father had had no, never told my mom that he was donating and he donated something like three times a week for almost 10 years. You get paid for that? Um, like, what do you get paid he, for that? You get paid. He like made a living doing that. And he had a very meager, you know, he was a, a real hippie. So, and he was living in his car half the time. So he really didn't need much. What are the payments on something like sperm donation? Not as much as egg donation. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but it was under a hundred bucks. I mean, it's not, it's oh not a lot God. of money, but if you're doing it three times a week and- you know, I think it's more now. Why do you What's get paid been, you know, so much more as an egg donor? 
Egg donors get paid. Eggs are much harder to come by and it's much harder to donate. You have to <laughs> Yeah, it takes do a lot 15 more. minutes to donate sperm. Yeah. It's a whole other thing to donate an egg. Stop it. Yeah. Say no more. Um it, it's and it's one one of those experiences I think is way more pleasurable and one is more painful. Um Correct. Correct. Well, it's fitting yeah. that women have to go through the pain because we can handle it. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> That's a good perspective on it. Um Okay, before Ancestry and 23andMe were coming out, in, in 2005, um, there, was a, there was a website called the Donor Sibling Registry, where if you knew you had a sperm donor, you could log on and you could type in your donor number. My dad's donor number was Donor150. And you could be connected with any other families that had also logged on and written that. So there were a couple biological siblings that had connected this way. Wait, sorry, but take us back. You, you, you didn't, when did you find out that your dad was a sperm donor? No, no. So this is how I'm going to find out. Okay. So I had no idea for all my, I mean, I, you know, I had enough issues coming to grips with my dad and who he was. And I didn't know that I never knew my mom paid my father to have me, nor did I know that he was financially incentivized to play the role of dad. I just thought that he, they were quote unquote, best friends who had had a kid together. That was what I had been told. So that would be a lot to unpack later on. But at this moment... Right, zero to 20, you thought you had a mom and a dad. and Or sometimes you felt like you had two moms and also a dad. But yeah, a dad who was there because exactly. he wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, and and already it was complicated. You know, we had... Yeah, things were really complicated at home as it was. But so without us knowing, uh, these siblings are meeting online through the donor sibling registry. And the New York, this is such a big deal at that time that the New York Times decides to cover the story of two of these siblings meeting. And my father just so happens to, so he's at this point homeless, living in Venice. And you know Um, he's homeless? You're aware? You're like, dad's homeless. Right, yeah. Right around this time, my mother had always sort of cleaned him up and given him showers and like made him somewhat presentable and he would come to us. So I didn't quite understand his living situation until right around this time um, when we'd gone to like visit him for our first Christmas and realized it. So that's a heavy thing to deal with. There's some interesting nature nurture implications to that as well when you have such a large sample size with um, a father who deals with these mental health struggles. Ah, good point. Yeah, we'll get to that later. But so the New York Times is covering this story. My father is sitting at his favorite coffee shop on Abbot Kinney, and he opens the newspaper. And there on the cover is, uh, hello, hi, sister, our father is donor 150 or something like that. And he remembered his donor number. And so he spills his coffee all over the newspaper. And then he decides, oh, my God, this is this is crazy and the biggest newspaper in the world. And I'm on the cover and I'm going to call the New York Times to, like, have the kids come meet me. He was, like, excited about this. He was excited. Not at any point is he like, holy fuck. Hundreds of people are about to know that I am their father. He probably didn't know. Not just hundreds of people, but holy fuck. The uh, world. Krista's mother is about to find out that I donated. I think that if he had any pause for concern, it was just that my mother might kill him, Mm -hmm. finding out that he had broken (laughs) his promise. Um, But... Two years later, my father calls my mother. He says, go get the New York Times. I have a Valentine's Day surprise for you. I'm sorry. As, like, like, as it's like a good thing? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was how he told her. So she's like, why, why, Jeffrey? Why do I have to go get the New York Times? Like, what the fuck? Are, why are you calling me about this? And he's like, just go get it. Just go get the newspaper. So she drives to the, she was living in the Palisades at that time. She drives to the local Palisades newsstand. And there on the cover 
is the second story, which is, uh, you know, first anonymous sperm donor breaks his anonymity and, you know, invites all his many children to come meet him in Venice Beach to, to meet their biological father. And there is a photo of him with his arm around a young woman who looks just like me and my sister. And my mom has what, what one might call a, a significant nervous breakdown. Um, because at that time she had gotten sober she, from, you know, alcoholism and cocaine addiction. And she was sort of like trying to mend our little family unit. She was having her father come by. She thought maybe she could move him in and like, you know, get his life together. So I think this is just like a bombshell that she... She's trying to repair things for you guys. And all of a sudden this bombshell goes off. Yeah. And so she decides she's never going to tell us. It's going to be a secret forever. Um, and that becomes more and more difficult because this is a huge story. And my father is eating up the press. Wait, so and isn't time- his face on the New York Times or it's not his face? You no, know, it's his face. Right. So on she- the cover of the Sunday Times. And she thinks you're not going to see it? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, then, uh, then a documentary, uh, film crew comes to like document the story. Then it is that they're, she's like, it's fine. Chris and her sister, they don't read the news. They don't go to the newsstand. They, they won't find out. <laughs> yes. That's her. And then she realizes, and you'll have to read the book to figure out how this happens, but I'm dating my brother. <gasps> Wait, hold on. You oh, actually were dating your brother or she, she God. thought, oh God, she might be dating her brother or it was your brother. So this was the big question in her mind because it was a boy who had two twin little sisters by two years younger. And they were definitively my half sisters. And the question was, was he or not? Got it. Oh my God. And so. And we have to read the book to find out if he was. Yeah, you have to read the book. Okay. Um, That's smart of you. That Give is us a good cliffhanger. That's I, good. That um, so my mother sits me and my little sister down to tell us the story. She um, finally, and that's how we- What are your ages? Said, what are your ages? Because your sister's younger. Yeah. So I'm 22 and my sister's four and a half years younger than me. So she was, I think, just starting college and I had just graduated. And at this point I'm dealing with a lot. Like I had just, I'm getting sober myself. Because I realized I was going down the road of my mom and I, you know, I had just gotten out of a many years long abusive relationship. And this was, I was finally dating this nice guy, which wasn't my MO, uh, (laughs) this nice guy slash brother. Um, (gasps) Oh my God. And so, so she sits (laughs) us down. I finally found a nice guy. That is your brother. I finally found a nice kid. It's weird. We're so similar. Like, finally someone gets me because he's, he's my brother. brother. <laughs> the, the, yeah. It's just so, I like so many women relate to the idea of, of dating the wrong guy. And then you finally find a nice guy. And that guy is your fucking brother is just the icing on the cake. Okay. Continue. Yeah. I had, I had, yeah, I tell, I tell a story of one very toxic and abusive relationship in the book, but I, um, because we often seek out what we're, what we're familiar with. Of course. But, um, so she sits us down and tells us, she doesn't tell us the whole thing. She just says, you know, a few years, you know, a few years after you were born, your dad turned, started donating sperm. And, you know, the New York times covered this one story. There are a couple siblings, but you know, she just downplayed the whole thing, but the way that my mother told, and by the way, I think that your boyfriend might be your brother. Oh my God. And you've obviously already had sex with this person at this point. Yeah. Many times. Oh my God. Okay. 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 Um, 
And so it's sort of that conversation that leads me to realize that much of what my mom told me about our, my upbringing was not the truth. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, the book is like me just trying to understand what actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so it reads like a mystery in that way a little bit. But, um, you know, it'll be a while before I figure out that my mom paid my dad to come over mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But um, of course, the, the situation at hand is I have to break up with my boyfriend. Yeah. Um, Who does your boyfriend think his father is? A, a very influential man in the world. Who, so I didn't feel like I could tell this person that his dad wasn't his dad. So it's not even that I could then process the information with him. I just had to break up with him saying that, like, it wasn't working. While I stared at his face and his fingers and his toes and tried to, like, unpack how much we looked alike. And if he was or wasn't. You were really young at this point. How long had you been dating your potential brother? And were you thinking, like, this is the love of my life? liked him it wasn't like the abusive okay. one where it's been like Romeo and Juliet of course and the abusive one is the one of your of the, is the love of your life of course uh I wound up marrying a really nice guy who's oh not good my brother and you're not related <laughs> yeah. to your husband and I'm not related to oh my that's huge he's, he's like 99.9 percent .9 Ashkenazi Jew and to my mother's uh extreme disappointment we have zero Jew so Okay. There's no, there's no crossover. Okay, that's but, smart. Um, so the whole time dating this guy, your, your brother potentially, he's telling you, oh, my father's a very influential man. I don't know him. Or my father's a very influential no, no, no. man. He's no, a no, sperm no. donor. No, no, Who he grew up with. So he, he his, his, who he grew up with. Got it. Okay, so he did grow up with a man who he thought was his father, but he didn't know. Okay, got it. Sorry. Yes, yes. But it, it, and his father's older. So it's it, it all sort of made sense that this could be the case. But it just wasn't something I felt that I wanted to like, it was their family secret yes. to unpack. Does well, by the way, sense? I do think my gyno confirmed this to me, that to this day, one of the greatest darkest, not darkest, but hidden secrets are sperm donors, egg donors, like a lot of, like a lot of people probably that we know are the children of a sperm donor or an egg donor. Like it actually is very common, but I just, what I don't know that is common is not every family tells their kids because that's the question. Like if you're not outed, like, should you tell your kids? Should you not? Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like some people would say, absolutely not. Why, why would I ever need to tell my child? Like my, the mom and dad are the mom and dad. That's it. We raise them. And then some parents are like, well, they need to know who their DNA is. They need to know who they are. Well, now, now it's not really an option to not tell your kids because of DNA testing. Yeah. So there's, there's just right, no way lie. to keep that secret any longer. Um, but at the time when people were doing this, you know, many, many women's doctors were saying, don't ever tell the kids. It was like the common uh, advice was not to tell the children. And often, you know, so so fast forward several years and I now find out about a new sibling every few months. Um, and many of those were never told. And it's just because they take a random DNA test. And then now they're like, oh, and, and there are all these New York Times articles about my biological father. And oh, now there's a book about him. So there's a lot of information out there. But, um, but it's a lot for the kids that weren't told. It seems, it seems to always be the healthier option to tell your kids the truth. By the way, this is a really good perspective because I think that, you know, nowadays people are having more unconventional family structures. And there is always that question of what 
do you tell your children? And you can speak from experience and speaking to so many people who had either been told from day one or not told what the experience is. Um, because from everything I, I've heard from people and what I believe is that anytime you keep a big secret from a child about their own life, there is going to be a moment where they discover the truth and their whole world falls apart. And if you can raise a child with the knowledge of that secret, that's not a secret. But how do you do that? Embedded. How do you tell like a six-year-old, like, well, daddy's actually, well, they, so they have a daddy. lot of ways to do it. So something that like that they do is you teach a kid from the very beginning, there's different books you would read them that like, okay, so you know how when you make a cake, you need eggs and you need flour. Well, when mommy wanted to have you, I had the eggs, but I didn't have the flour. Mm. And so we borrowed flour from somebody else. And But your mom is your mom and your dad is your dad. There's ways to tell kids so that it never seems like a negative, scary thing. And then they don't necessarily understand it, but it's always part right, of their story. Because it's not. Because the only reason people need an egg or a sperm is because they can't do it without it. So it's like there should never actually be negative connotation around it. It's actually an amazing thing if done. Well, yeah, the I mean, that's right why way. I believe secrets honorably. imply negativity and shame. And that's yeah, coming bringing us back to the shame. Totally. When you have a secret, it's implying you should have shame about yeah. this. This is why we can't share it with people because it's shameful because they'll judge us because they'll think your family's weird because mm -hmm. you know, and that giving that to a child instilling that in him, it's so hard to, to rewire yourself to not feel shame. Well, I almost think you, you, you can't. You, it's very hard. You it's, can, you can, I think you can. It, you yeah. Do. It's just challenging. Right. I don't know. So, so the message is from you, you know, let, your kid in on the truth about their life from day one yeah. and, and to feel yeah, proud about of it. things beyond like <clears throat> something I had started to say, but I didn't finish earlier is like about shame in general and shame and secrets are like, they're like, you know, married together. They're just, but I think that my, both of my parents had so, especially my mother had so many secrets and so much shame and you pass that on to your kids too. And you, and there's a riff in your own relationship with your children. If you are carrying that, like I, this, the, after learning about the siblings, I went on this long journey to sort of uncovering the truth. And I accidentally learned stories about my mother's childhood that she intended to take to the grave and tell no one. And it was only in, and she was furious with the person who accidentally told me this information. And it was a whole big thing. And, um, you know, the, the big, the big piece being that her father had committed suicide. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, cause that's also another thing that people have a lot of shame about if there's like a, you know, a drug overdose in a family or suicide or these things. I'm like, but the, the sad thing was it was only upon understanding my mother that I was able to forgive her for a lot of the stuff she had done and that we were able to ultimately have a very close relationship. Mm. And so I think when you think that you're like, hiding something to protect someone or to whatever it is in your mind that will happen if they know the truth. I think that you're doing yourself and those, and the people that love you such a disservice because you just yeah. can't really, you can't relate or connect with each other if you're not, if you're living a lie or if you're yeah. not really your whole self. Yes. I'm a, such a believer in that. I've always felt so strongly in being open and not secretive because living with something by yourself versus sharing it with someone and being able to talk through it, nothing is ever as bad as it is when it's just in your head alone, when you're spiraling about it. 
anything you can get over with someone. And if you have an open, honest conversation, I also believe like you can't really hate someone who gives you context for the mistakes that they've made. Right. Mm -hmm. Anybody who explains where everything comes from pain, the worst person in the world, the most harmful person in the world, there is pain underneath that, that if you heard it, you might understand where they were coming from. It doesn't mean you have to forgive them, but it, right. it doesn't, it's not even about forgiveness. It's, no. it's about understanding and, uh, yeah. Compassion maybe even if it's, yeah. Yeah. Compassion. And so what did you learn? Well, first about of all, though, your mother clearly had good intentions, right? Like there, 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 yes. that's the thing is like, I think there are families where parents didn't actually fucking have good intentions. They were just mm, fucking and up their so much kid. Harder. And that is a totally different cross to bear, right? It doesn't minimize yours or whoever, but like if you start out with what the intentions were and for your mom, they were good. Like they were pure. They were just to have you and to give you some sort of, in her mind, a father figure when in reality, you didn't need a fucking father figure. Most likely people don't need people. You can get everything from same sex couples these days. You really can. Oh. If anything, she made my, my adulthood so much more complicated. Cause now I think of my dad, not as sperm donor, but dad. And that makes his situation so right. much harder for right. me. Right. Than Imagine some if of she the was just kids. like, I'm a lesbian. I, these are, these are women who I'm romantically, you know, with, they are here. They're wonderful. They want to add to your life. We, you don't have a dad, but I love you and I'll give you anything you ever need. And I'll answer any questions you ever have. Like, imagine how that would have shaped your, mm -hmm. your life, but her intentions were good. So no, totally. And understanding, not just like, you know, her, the darkness of some of her childhood, but even understanding, what it was like to be gay coming out in like the fifties and sixties. Like I can't even fathom for me, like one of the things I had shame about was my mom being a lesbian because I was the only kid I knew who had that. So I, well, by the way, you probably had friends whose parents were gay. They just were in the closet. Yes, probably. <laughs> but so I, you know, so I didn't, so I had, I didn't have a single friend that knew that my mom was gay and they couldn't come and I couldn't invite them over because then they would clearly discover it. So I was in the closet as much as my mom was right. in the closet. And so that was, like you mentioned, when Ellen came out, like that was a huge deal for, or like when The Birdcage was a film, yeah. it was a huge deal for me because that was the first time I'd ever seen a gay parent depicted on screen. Mm -hmm. And so we just forget how different it is now. Now, you know, now there are so many resources for families of all kinds, for single mothers deciding to have a kid or single fathers deciding to have a child that way or gay parents or yeah, it's, it's just a different time it's, period. It's really um, a reminder why representation of different yeah. family structures and different so lifestyles is so important in TV and film because it mm -hmm. makes kids feel less shame around whatever mm -hmm. their unique situation is. Okay. Somebody came over the other day and they were like touching my bed and like going, who was like over at your house touching your bed going and she goes she goes oh my god like this is the coziest bed what are these pillows what is this what is this and I go yeah duh, it's bull and branch and she goes oh you actually like <laughs> use it like I go yeah hello uh -huh. yes of course what do you mean we do not, who was it we do not lie um, you lie in your life, but you don't lie in the ads. Yeah, exactly. You're so, a liar, but not when it comes to Bullet Not Ridge. when it comes to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not when it comes to products that we're talking to you guys about. Um, we love Bull and Branch. Everything it, that they have is perfect, just to be clear. Everything is buttery, soft. It's all organic, 100% organic cotton threads. 
It is so superior to every other type of sheets and pillowcases, covers, and all that stuff. More I've importantly, ever, ever no used. chemicals are rubbing on you and seeping into your skin while you sleep mm -hmm. when you use Bowl and Branch because it is a hundred percent. I just said that it's a hundred percent organic. But I, I Thank you for repeating if, what I said. I don't know if you were fully like conveying. No, I think I was. So try the sheets that will make fall the coziest season of the year. Get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code FOSTER15 at bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L -L and branch.com. And the promo code is FOSTER15. Everly well, Everly well. Please don't sing. Nobody I know. likes it. Um, okay, Everly well is, um, is an amazing company that they make all these different types of health tests and testing kits that get sent Digital directly to your health care designed for you. Yes. At an so affordable and transparent price. You can order any test kit that you want online that gets sent directly to you with a prepaid shipping label and everything for you to return it. You could do uh, women's health. You could do hormone health. Aaron, you could do you food like sensitivity. Go back. Go back. Tell people what it is. I, I literally just said oh. they are health test kits that oh. get sent to you and you can choose oh. what you're testing I for. I forgot to tune you back in today. Yes, you got to tune me back in. I got to tune you back in. It's crazy. We're like just getting started here and you've already tuned me out. Um, they also You've been have, tuned out since yesterday. Oh, okay. I'll have to repeat anything I said since yesterday then. Um, they also have a ton of high quality vitamins and supplements to support your oral health. So basically you find out, oh, I'm vitamin D deficient and then it's right there for you. You can buy it if you want. They ship the product straight to you. You have everything you need in the package. You take an at-home lab test, just collect your sample, which is like a little blood drop. You just use the prepaid shipping label, send it back, and then a physician reviews your results. So for listeners of our show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash foster. That is everlywell.com slash foster for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash foster. Let's go back to earlier you mentioned nature versus nurture. And it mm. made me think about that documentary. I think it was called Three Twins. I'm sure you've seen three it. Identical identical three Identical Strangers. Three Identical Strangers. Did you ever see it, Sarah? No. Really, it's really amazing. Really amazing. Really fascinating. And it's a real exploration into nature versus nurture. Um, and of course, like, you know, what, what I mean by that is, is this idea that these kids who were born from the same parent, like, do you mimic their behaviors and their habits without even knowing them? Is it just instilled in you naturally? Or is it a behavioral that you, you absorb by being exposed to the person? So what did you and these siblings you discover about nature versus nurture? Yeah. Well, well, so when I, so quick backtrack is like when I first discovered the siblings, I wanted nothing to do with them for almost 10 years. I was like, biology doesn't make family. I have a complicated enough family as it is. I can't imagine one more family member, let alone an infinite yeah. number. Um, it was just way too much for me to handle. So I completely shunned this biological family for a good 10 years. And then, um, and then this bizarre exchange with one half sister 10 years later, opened me up to the whole thing. But, um, but so that was my position. And, and so when I say bizarre, uh, can you tell us about that situation? Like what happened? Yeah. So I went to this, so I, some, somewhere along the line, I became interested in classical painting, like Renaissance painting, which as you know, is not particularly in vogue at this time period. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, still lives of pears, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> Um, you became and, interested in it like you were taking painting classes or you became interested in studying it? 
So I became so interested in it that I, after college, I found this little painting teacher in Culver City. And I was like, if I want, you know, I had taken art classes throughout the years, even in college, but it, it was more theory. It was, it was just a different thing than what I was specifically interested in. She was like, well, there is this tiny school in Italy called the Florence Academy of Art. And they, they study the atelier method. Da, 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 da. And it was like, and I looked on their website and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I've always searched for. But like, no one has ever heard of this school, mm-hmm. especially at this time, whatever time that was. If but, you tell um, me one of your half siblings was at this fucking school, I'm going to yeah. freak out. Yeah. Oh my God. So my half sister who grew up in upstate New York with a traditional family in a completely different situation, went to the school right after me. And we had all the same friends and we were very similar. Okay. So very nature, similar. not nurture. <laughs> with the way we dress is similar. The esoteric gardening books we read were, I mean, we're, we are very similar. We're also different in a lot of ways, but. Um, well, cause you have different moms too. We also have different moms, but the fact like that is just such an obscure interest. And to wind up studying this in Florence, Italy, is just so. And is there a connection to your biological father's interests? Like, was he interested in art? Was he artistic? Was there a connection? I never knew he was, he was a musician and he played the piano. Uh, And I never knew that he was very artistic, but on his donor profile, I read that he liked watercolor painting. I mean, I, so. Interesting. uh, but I had, that's not something that I had necessarily grown up knowing. Um, it was pretty obscure. And so, and so this woman, Jennifer, um, when she discovered she had a sperm donor through a random DNA test, cause she always tanned easily and no one in her family did. So she was like, I wonder if I have a little native American in there. Uh-huh. You know, she just had, she's like, I want to find out. So she took a DNA test and then she, um, at first she, when she saw all the matches, she assumed that her uncle who was a little promiscuous had, had, you know, gotten around. And so these were cousins. So she first sends me an email, like, um, I hate to break this to you, but I think your uncle, my uncle might be your dad. And so then she quickly realizes that she's got the story wrong, but, um, but the nature nurture of it all. So she, she was so excited about discovering the siblings because she had been an only child. Talk about how people have different perspectives, like your friend, she had been an only child and she'd always wished for a sister. And that year she had done like a vision board and was like, (laughs) I really want new, I want, I want to develop connections with new (laughs) girlfriends. And then she crossed out girlfriends and wrote sisters and she met it metaphorically. Oh my God. (laughs) First of all, we're big believers on this podcast of vision boards. She manifested a little too hard on that one. She manifested. That is some crazy returns Uh, on a vision board. That is really funny. Um, And so... Uh, so she was just so excited. She was like, my life was so boring and this is so exciting. And this is like a lifetime movie. And I actually have all these siblings. And and so I think, and so I was like, okay, I'm open to developing a connection with this one sister. And then she was so curious and excited about the whole thing. I realized I had sort of absorbed my mother's negativity around it. And that like, I could choose at any moment to have a totally different attitude. And that it was just a choice. And so I think just being confronted with like a different choice that I could make, I was like, oh, that maybe this isn't dark and heavy. Maybe it's actually light and fun. By and the so way, I, I mean, I, that take the scenario out. That's just such a good lesson to remind everybody about that if you have one attitude about something and it's not the most effective way to be going about literally it, literally flip it. 
you just make a choice. Like, I don't have to view that as negative. I don't have to have a bad attitude about this. I don't have to see it as a bad thing and something shameful. I could see it the way that she's seeing it. Positive, exciting, new people in my life. You know, it is, we do make decisions and we don't sometimes even realize who the person is that's like puppeteering our decision-making. You know, like, is it what person from our childhood is pulling the strings and making us act that way? Right, what resentment, what unfinished business? Mm -hmm. I mean, it all goes back. Yeah, but it's a decision. You can you can pull back and, and redirect. So did you do that? Yeah, I did. Now I have great relationships with several of them. It's beautiful. Wow. And like to speak to the nature nurture, I had definitely, I think growing up in the 80s and 90s, we thought everything was nurture. It was just the way, yeah. you know, society was sort of more in that direction. And I think having met the siblings, I'm now, I believe it's both, but like I... I really understand that nature is a big part of it more than I ever did because, you know, I, not just the art school thing, but there, you know, many of them struggle with, you know, we're all highly sensitive in ways that I would say most of the population isn't. And like, um, we're all, you know, we've all studied, there was like a, a cluster of things that we've studied in school, but, you know, none of us did organized sports in high school, except maybe one of them. And almost all of them did musical theater. And, um, so, you know, there's a lot that are on different meds for helping with some of their mental health challenges. So it's, it's a large sample size and it's only sharing one parent, but we, we um, have a half sister, Allison, who we had on our podcast. Um, she was given up for, ado- sorry. Okay. Somebody corrected me when I said this, uh, placed for adoption. You don't say given up for adoption. I get so stuck saying that. Which that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Given up feels like. I know. I didn't mean to yeah. say it like that. No, but that's, by the way, but that's always what, what, people, what people. It's a learning, it's a learning curve. You don't know until you say things. Yes. It didn't like, even occur to me until I said it. And then people wrote me and were like, it's a hurtful way to say it. So, uh, she was placed for adoption from our dad, uh, when he was really young and she grew up not knowing who her parents were, her biological parents. Um, and did you guys know about her existence? I mean, we always, well, this is where we have a bit of a divergence between Sarah and I's experiences. I remember always being aware of her. Sarah does not remember always being aware of her. Um, but the point is that our, our dad is very musical in like a savant way. We didn't absorb that from him growing up. But she lived not knowing who her parent her parent was, and she's the only one of us that played piano, which is the instrument he plays. Mm-hmm. And she learned how to play music on like the David Foster music book, who is our dad, not knowing it was her dad. She minored in music. She didn't wow. know. She like grew up in Edmonton, Canada, where no one's like a musician, you know, and had this thing in her and like always felt this thing of like, there's something bigger. There's something I'm connected mm. to. And she's so similar to us in so many ways. She still has like, you know, a lot of the edge that, that me and my sisters have that we sort of felt assumed was came from a traumatic childhood experience or like the animosity between our parents, you know, just in the blood, she has the edge too. (laughs) Like, it's just a per, it's just like an energy. It's like, it is nature. It's so fascinating to watch that. It is fascinating. It can also like, it can, it's fascinating then being a parent and like, I don't know when you have like more than one child and they come out with such different natures and like you can direct those natures and support them. But there's also a, an amount that they come in with. Um, and I think that's, I don't know, you can not, you can take it e- a little easier knowing that it's like, you really can't direct it completely no matter what. Yes. If that makes sense. 
All right. Where do we begin with Noom? I mean, I guess just for us, we have Speak so for yourself, many please. friends that are using Noom and we're really seeing the results mm-hmm. firsthand. Um, Noom has sort of changed the conversation on health and wellness and achieving your optimal self. And Being I know your it's, optimal it's like self. nobody wants to talk about it's not like PC to talk about losing weight. It's not about losing weight. It's about feeling your best and being feeling your best and, and taking care of your body is very important. You can't get canceled for saying like, you got to take care of your body. The program it's based on scientific principles. So it changes the way your brain, you know, uh, it changes your relationship with food by cognitive tools. This is like some science back shit here. This is not like a cognitive behavior therapy to help you figure out, you know, what your health goals should be. Um, It's very flexible. It is non-restrictive. That does not work. Okay. You can just choose your level of support. You could do five minutes a day to do check-ins and, or or you could also do personal coaching if you want to go all the way for it. Uh, 95% of customers say that Noom Weight is a good long-term solution. And that's like the hardest thing to find. Active people who are using the app lose an average of 15 pounds in 16 weeks. And guys, that's doing it the right way. There's all these fads, there's all these diets, there's all these things. And again, it's not about losing weight. It is about being your best self. And sometimes to be your healthiest, there are certain people who, you know, they're going to achieve that by losing weight, but you have to do it in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. So break the cycle with motivation and support from Noom Weight's psychological-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash foster. That is N-O-O-M.com slash foster to sign up for your trial today. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about Nutrafol because I have done uh, partnerships with them solo. Oh, they yeah. Did, we saw when I was at Blackberry Farm. They did not want You were you. off in the distance by yourself, just like throwing your hair around in front of the camera. And and like all these people were, like, were annoyingly positive okay, about it. But listen, a lot of, you know, we talk about like men and their hair struggles, but like Nutrafol is looking to unite and support women through the personal impacts of female hair struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, by the way, thinning, which you deal with. I mean, my hair's been thinning for years. Just can't stop it. Just it has been thinning for years and noticed. you're not on Nutrafol. And if you look at my hair and you look at yours, mm. you'll probably go like, I know who's on Nutrafol. Right. Of course, you'd use this as a way to compete with each other. And by the way, after some people too in pregnancy, like my hair, my eyelashes, it all changed after pregnancy. So Nutrafol is a great solution. Well, Nutrafol works. It's just simple. You can look at the yeah. before and afters. You can check it out. This isn't like my opinion. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't even need to take my opinion. Just mm-hmm. Google it and look at the before and afters. Those are real before and afters. Y- you know, it's not an overnight thing. It's a commitment. But guys, it works. So let's yeah. talk about it. Your hair story could help another woman. Please join the conversation at shedthesilence.com. That is shedthesilence.com. Go there and talk about your hair struggles so that other women can feel more comfortable about theirs. Do you have kids, Krista? Two kids. Yeah. You have two kids. Okay. And so how does this affect you as a mother, like everything you've learned about your life? Mm. How does it change how you mother? Well, our household is very different. You know, I think you either like become your parents or you go in the exact opposite direction. I definitely went opposite. Like I, it was very important. I had been really attracted to toxic partners for a long time, like restraining order level toxic. Um, And I, and also, yeah, I had like challenging relationship with alcohol, all these things that I started I think only once I realized I really wanted to be a parent 
did I really take a strong look at all that stuff and, and make a real concerted, uh, conscientious effort to change? Cause I was like, I'm happy treating myself this way, but for some reason, just mm. the idea of doing it to little kids was, um, didn't sit right with you. I just, it was the thing that could finally make me like break up with this guy who had been in and out, for example. And, um, so, so our, I mean, you know, I'm very close with my mom and she's an active grandma. So there was a lot of healing that took place between us to yeah. enable that to happen. But, um, but it's also a, a definitely a different, a different vibe. At so home is your mom still clean, sober and, and I'd love to ask a question if you'll allow it at any point. Oh, I just want to know if your mom is, is sober and she's like, still sober. That's yeah. amazing. And, that, and that's challenging. You know, I, I say it's like my book has a happy ending of sorts. Um, but it's, you know, I'm lucky that she was able to get sober because that's hard. Yeah. Very hard. I want to, first of all, I want to say like, it, it is amazing how you can almost heal to a certain extent, your relationship with your parent through the way that they grandparent. Like, I know it's been really healing for me and my mom watching the kind of grandparent she is with my kids. Like, it's almost mm. like you can heal without even talking about it in some ways. Like, I, um, at least that's how I feel. I feel healed, even though there are certain things with my mom that I feel like we've never even discussed or I've never gotten answers on, but it's almost like it's okay because of the present parent she is, grandparent she is to my kids. Mm -hmm. But one thing we didn't talk about, which I'm so interested in, given that like Aaron and I as sisters react to things totally differently, different versions of our childhood, all those things. What about your full sister? Like- where yeah. was, where was she in all of this? Yes. Like, how does she, like, what has her experience been? I would assume if it's anything like Aaron and I different. Totally different. She, you know, if I went in the extreme opposite direction, she's probably more like in the middle, like not in a bad way, but like took some of the good parts of my mom. Whereas I really was just like, I have to be so neurotic. And so she's a little bit more loose and you, you know, she was, we took on different roles because of our age. Like I, I mean, became, I became my, my parents, I became my mother's mom in many ways and was mom to my little sister. Whereas she was the baby and it was just a very different dynamic. Um, so I like, you know, I, I was working jobs from a very young age. Whereas like mom was always like, but she's the baby. She doesn't, you know, it was, it, it's just a whole different, it was like, we, not that we grew up in different homes. We, you know, I, I gave her a copy of early manuscripts and like, she didn't, she didn't correct anything. Like it wasn't that we disagreed so much as much. She was like, well, you didn't add that. She's really funny. My sister, like in ways that I am, I'm just not as funny. Like, uh, and so there are a lot of parts where it's like, you missed this incredibly comic moment you need to add right here. And so, but how did she handle meeting the other siblings and accepting them and accepting the truth of your story differently than you? Yeah, that is different. I mean, the first you know, the first scene in the book opens with me at my home in West Hollywood with my two kids and my husband. And he's like uh, acting as barista for all these siblings that I'm having like come stay for the weekend um, and meet for the very first time. And my sister shows up halfway through and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is so weird. Like, how do you know someone's not going to steal something? And like, Krista, this is not our family. And what are you doing? Like, so we have, and I tell that story about, she just had a very different, like, she didn't necessarily come to the the point of embracing them in the same way I did. She was more um, skeptical. 
yeah. And that's, but you know, every sibling, like you have just a different journey in a family. Of course. But as, is it, has especially it brought, with that age separation. Has it brought you and your sister closer or has it been something that's been challenging in your relationship, all the stuff you've learned and all the other siblings you've met? I think, I think it's just been less of a journey for her with the siblings than it has been for me. Like, I think that it unearthed some stuff that we had to work on together. Like she was very sensitive to me throwing around, talk about like terminology. Like she was very sensitive to me just calling them brothers and sisters. She's like, I'm your sister. I'm your actual only sister. She's like, we went through a lot of stuff together. Like they're not, they don't just get that label for nothing. And, uh, or like introducing my kids to their aunts and uncles. She was just like, what, what is that? I don't understand. Um, which is in a lot, a lot of parents, who used a sperm donor have a complex relationship when their kids want to meet that person. Yes. Or if they use the word dad, that, that gets really complicated. So I think that my sister's experience in some ways mirrors that what I've seen with a lot of the parents. Um, it's, Do you it's, feel it's like, like a lot issues... of interesting new material for families to deal with that yeah, is new. What about in like regards to we all have issues, we all walk yeah. away, you know, from our childhood with a set of issues. Do you feel like you and your sister are pretty aligned with that? Like both abandonment stuff, both shame stuff, or is it, did she, were you almost like, like sheltering her a little bit since you were the older sister? So she was less susceptible to the pain or like, what have conversations been like now? I think she, well, it's also interesting because my mom was sober for the first five years of my life. And so I think that I got a stable begin, more stable beginning than my sister, because then my mom got into alcohol and eventually drugs. And so I wonder if that, you know, I've had to work really hard on not being a parent figure to my sister. Um, so there's just different challenges that come up based on what age rank and when your parents were going through what, you know, like I have to like, let go and let her make her own decisions and not always think that, you know, I'm, I'm the big sister who was, was parent when we were teenagers. This is so relatable for just any home with siblings. This Mm -hmm. is just so relatable. And it's true. We all, even if we grew up in the same house with the same parents, we really do all have our own journey. And it's been hard for Aaron and I to accept each other's journeys who yeah. they're just very different, but like how, what you was seem like you're in such a sweet place, but I mean, I love well, hearing you guys disagree on stuff. <laughs> no, but listen, well, but it's taken a it, lot. It could end us like me, her, her being her, me telling a story about our childhood and her disagreeing with it could result in us not speaking for two weeks. I mean, mm. yeah. like truly, like we have really had to no, we've had to work through it a lot and it's taken a lot of therapy on our own to uh, to allow each other to have compassion for each other's journeys. Yeah, and mm. to allow each other to have different versions of the story because it's not like, oh, that was your experience. It's like you're lying, that's not what happened. This mm-hmm. is what happened. And so we've had to really accept each other's realities um because you know, it's hard when when I'm like, okay, this is my life. These are the, this is who our parents were. This is what the, the components were to create the person I am today. And this is what I've held on to as my truth. And then here's this bitch telling me it's a lie. Yeah. Sarah (laughs) being like, that's actually not what happened. No one said that. No one did that. Like, you know, so we, we, 
I still think you've made up a lot and you still think <laughs> I've made up a lot, but we've learned to live. It's hard. It, it's hard. And it's frustrating because it's hard to not think that that person's just intentionally mm. being delusional, you know? Um, mm. But really we did experience it differently. And it's like, there could be- Wait, there- so so I can get it straight. So Aaron, you thought it was a little bit darker and 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 Sarah had a prettier picture of it. No, Is it's that- like, okay, I'll give you an example. So, so like- we grew up, our dad was successful, but we didn't live with him. We lived with our mom and he had this really big life and we had an extension of that life, but like weren't living it with him, if that makes sense. For me, I grew up always feeling like we were like rich kids that didn't necessarily have like, you know, weren't living it firsthand, but like I got a lot of attention for having a dad that was famous and successful and people, I got sort of, my friends would judge me because they thought I was a rich kid and that I had everything handed to me. And so I felt like I had to work harder to be taken seriously. Like I just felt like we grew up with very privileged. Whereas Sarah connected much more with our mom's stressing about money all the time, stressing about um, the the child support coming in. There was one time that she took us to a a laundromat to like kind of like give us the taste of another like lifestyle and it traumatized Sarah. It made her feel like we were like, going to not have a home. Like we were like going to be homeless or something. So she experienced it. But what we figured out is because I was the oldest, my mom was fucking telling me this shit. My mom was saying, well, your dad, the child support check is late. So I can't get a new washing machine. And coming to me and saying like, well, I can't take you on vacation. Go go yell at your dad because I can't take you on vacation because I don't have enough money. So we have realized that she would tell me this shit, but she would not tell because I was the oldest. Mm -hmm. But but so there's it's not only that, but it's just, yes, I chose to hold on to those things. I also lived in a different world. I lived, I went to, I always went to another school. I always had different friends. So in my world, well, Sarah's friends were like, were like, not like they were, they had parents well, that I were famous. I don't know famous. if it's all about like money. No, but just your- You growing up in LA. I mean, my book is a lot about that. It's growing up in LA, money is a big part of it. Interesting. Yes, but I went to public school. So most of my friends didn't come mm. from rich households. So to them, I was the rich friend. But to Wait, Sarah- Wait, did you go to I went private to, schools? I went to Malibu High and Sarah went to um, private schools. Oh, so that's also a big difference. Totally big difference. Oh, yeah. All my friends were like, oh, yeah, you're, that's so sad that you can't come with us on that thing. Or like, like that was the world I grew up in. Yeah. So anyway, we just had different experiences and it's, it's interesting to see the differences. One thing I wanted to ask you that Allison really wanted us to ask you is about the relationship you have with your husband and, and how that helped you um, navigate your complicated childhood, like opening up to him. And did he have a much healthier childhood and has been sort of a help, like a guide for you with normalcy? He did not have a healthier upbringing. He also oh. came from a crazy situation, but his was very different. Um, cause sort of, as you were describing, like my mom's intentions were so like, she wanted to be a mom so badly. And that was her whole world almost maybe bordering in a codependent way that wasn't healthy, but like she always screwed up despite her best intentions. But my husband's family were more like they had kids very young because they were supposed to do it, but it, it, neither one sort of deeply wanted to be a parent. Mm. And so he had much more of like, you know, his parents got divorced when he was young. His father met a woman at a bar mitzvah and like moved him to the United States because they were living in the UK while his two sisters stayed with the mom that like he would 
he would take the, you know, he'd be 13 taking a plane and then a train and then a car to go see his mom. And then she wouldn't show up there to like oh pick God. him up. She'd have been doing a dinner party. So it was like a whole different, so a whole different kind of, of painful I think trauma. that this is so important, like for people listening to maybe this will help you because we have a lot of young girls who are listening to this young 20s like you know we have young 20s to 70s um but I think feeling comfortable to open up about family dynamics that feel shameful are so important I think that when you're young you are so worried to be judged or alienated from a friend group but like what we've really realized on this podcast is that being vulnerable and opening up really connects you to other people. And if anyone is listening, I just hope that this is like kind of that that push to feel comfortable opening up about your family dynamics that you might feel embarrassed by or that you might feel humiliated by. Because the truth is we forget that what endears us to other people are people's honesty. I am endeared to the person who comes to me with a story that is very shameful for them. It makes me feel closer to them. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel closer to someone that is like, I'm struggling financially. I don't know what I'm going to do. We might lose our house. Whatever it is, as painful, as hard as that is for that person to talk about it, it just makes me feel closer to them and want to help them. Mm -hmm. And that's not just me. The truth is humans are good. Like we are, like innately we are good people. There are so many fucking horrible people out there that we forget that the majority of people are good people. And no, it's so true. I mean, to answer Allison's question, which goes back to what you're saying, is like I always thought that I that no together normal like person man would ever love me if he knew everything. Yes. Specifically if he met my parents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um and, and but by the way, so many people feel like if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Regardless of what totally. the details are, people, so right. many people feel that way. And so I think there's been a great amount of healing in sort of like, it took me a while, but like slowly revealing myself to this man who loved me more, not less. And then now we have a real, and you know, there were people, I think I would seek out uh, people who were so dysfunctional because their dysfunction would so deeply trump whatever I was going through, that there was a level of superior. I didn't really have to be vulnerable in a real way as you do with someone who's maybe more on an equal level. And then the other thing I'll say is since writing the book, I mean, I've heard from, I've heard from so many readers that were like, you know, I struggled with this secret or that secret and blah, blah, blah. But like, what's been wild is I've heard from maybe a dozen people that I've known in my life, people in high school and college who I had many assumptions about what they, what their situations were. And I just thought I could never tell them my truth because this girl grew up with a charmed existence. And this woman comes from the best possible family. And like, these are, so, you know, at that period of time, I, when I was just a fraud, where I was just working so hard on my outside appearance to fit in with these people. And they, these people have read the book and emailed me and and told me the craziest stories you could possibly imagine about what they were going through at that time and how they can't believe that I was going through that same thing. And how had we, how were we not closer friends during that time? And, you know, a woman from high school just reached out. This girl, when I think about her in high school, I was like, oh, she has no problems at home. Like things are going well. And she's like, I'd love to connect you with my mom who's taking a memoir class about 
my brother who struggles with schizophrenia. And it was always a secret that we didn't, you know, she was the straight A student, but then at home she had this older brother whose mom was dealing with this or like, you know, the, the, the addiction in families that people deal with is, you know, it's, I think it's the nature of a lot of these things with the stigma attached to them that we just hide. And we're like, you know, if anyone knew I wouldn't have any friends, but it's the exact opposite. You have way deeper friendships. We forget that people innately want to be there for you. People want to be of use. Like it makes people feel good to be needed. Right. Like I, I gravitate towards people that are like, cannot, can you help me with this? It makes me feel good to want to help or be there for somebody. It makes me feel like my opinion matters. And it, it's, we just forget like, cause we, we, I don't know. There's just been so many times in my life where I look back and I go, fuck, why didn't I just ask for help? Like there are mm. so many people that really want to help. Like they really, really want to help. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's a time in the book where I'm living in an abandoned office building with my little sister and my mom's in rehab for cocaine addiction. And I don't have a single friend who knows that that's going on. And like, it would have been really nice to tell someone's mom of course. who could have helped and, and by like, the way, help me figure out how to pay for cat food. Imagine all the people now looking back that would have said, you and your sister pack your shit. You're moving in with us. Totally. I mean, can you imagine that you would have had more open doors and you, you wouldn't have known where to go because you would have had so many options. Yeah. Totally. Um, but it's scary. Well, Krista, I'm very excited for people to read this book. I think you did. You rode the perfect balance of getting people very excited about it, but not giving too much away. I, I was um, just going to say that because so many times you listen to podcasts. I hate it when people that are promoting books literally won't say anything. You're like, why are you on the fucking podcast? Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, we all know we're going to buy the book, but like, you got to give us a little something, right? So it's either those people or people that literally tell you everything. So you're like, now I don't need the book. This was yeah, the good balance. perfect balance of just like wetting the appetite, but like, there's so much more I want to know. Krista, your book is called Normal Family on Truth, Love, and How I Met My 35 Siblings. I'm just impressed that you've you've outdone us and you have more siblings than we do. By the way. Well, now we're up to 42, so. Oh, the <laughs> number's growing. Is there growing. anyone that physically resembles you a lot, that like looks like you a lot? They all look, sorry, I won't say all, but a majority look just like my little sister who takes more after my dad. That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. Krista, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank um, you guys I'm so excited so for people to read your book. Lovely. I'm so impressed with you sharing your story. And I think it's you, so Alex. helpful. If you like this podcast, leave a rating and review. This podcast is executive produced by. Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound. Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by. Be, can you, do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster. Sarah Foster and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our, Our associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great. <laughs>